0: Well, man, we are in a series here called Toxic, and we're walking through what does it mean to have a heart that's been affected by sin in a way that distracts me off of the greatness I could have with my king, and I miss it, and I slide off into self, and uh, toxic, man, it's a poison, and it can eat us up, and there's actually four different facets of the heart that can be affected, and we've talked about a couple of them already with fear and despair, And we've talked about how those two pieces can play into uh, affecting us losing out on what God has for us. But more than that, how God can come in with a healing touch and give us hope, give us life change, a king that we can trust in. And all of God's people said, man, and as we're going into this third piece now, we're now going to the upper side of the heart. We were talking about unbelief and the effects through fear and despair. Now we're talking about pride. And the effects into our heart. And, uh, and these can be hard ones. And, uh, and if we're affected by it, it can be in a way where we don't want to hear it too much. So as we go into this message today, we're talking about overcoming anger. Overcoming anger. And uh, so turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, starting in verse 1. Overcoming anger, a heart of surrender. we got ushers coming forward. they got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? Genesis 4, starting in verse 1. And again, we're talking about overcoming anger here. This is that third portion of the heart as we dive in. So uh, here we go. Point number one, the poison. Pride that leads to rebellion and disobedience. Uh, The poison. Pride that leads to rebellion and disobedience. And um, you can just uh, jump over to... um, In your books, we're going to be walking through this. Everybody should have one of those little booklets. If you do, just raise your book up in the air if you've got this little booklet. That's great. Okay, we're taking notes through that. If you don't have one of these, man, you can grab one on the way out. We have one for you. We've been walking through in our sermon series there at the Welcome Center, and uh, you can make sure you grab one there. So as we dive in here, pride that leads to rebellion and disobedience. And uh, here we go. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, Adam knew Eve. This is just one chapter after Adam and Eve have fallen. They've made their decision. They've gone off on self, and things have train wrecked. God has declared out a punishment, and uh, things that need to be meted out in order for um, his glory to be lifted up as number one. And so we've had that in chapter three. Now chapter four, Adam knew Eve, his wife. And this is a statement about relationship, this is a statement about physical intimacy with one another in a way where you can end up with a child, but it's so much more than just sexuality. This is about a celebration of life together, of knowing each other, of caring for one another, of deeply grasping and understanding one another, to know one another. And the marriage bed is undefiled, and we celebrate that. We celebrate that the sexuality and the knowing of one another can happen within The marriage, great place for that to be celebrated, and as God states it, that is the place for it to be celebrated. And all of God's people said, "Little side note on marriage: there, man, make sure you celebrate the way God has it planned. It will be unbelievable your life experience in that regard." And uh, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, "I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord." That word gotten is really important. I have gotten. In the Hebrew, the way you would say that word gotten is like this. Ready? Cain? Are you hearing it? Cain? It's the name of his son. She named the son Cain. Cain, Gotten. I got me one of them, man. That's right. I got me a kid. And this is amazing. I got a boy. And gotten. Going off of the name Cain there, uh, that's what it means. And so... Uh, Eve was celebrating that the Lord, notice she does give honor to God, through the help of the Lord. And uh, God has an amazing design in this creation and she was celebrating. Again, she bore his brother Abel, which means breath, breath. And uh, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. So one was a shepherd taking care of sheep and cattle and the other is a farmer taking care of the crops and growing them. And have you ever noticed how siblings tend towards very opposing interests. And uh, as they move towards those interests, it's trying to find their mark in the world, their place to make a mark. And, and so uh, Cain's going off after the um, fruitfulness of the land, and Abel is going off of the fruitfulness of the animals. And uh, it says, "'In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord "'an offering of the fruit of the ground. "'And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock "'and of their fat portions.'" So let's just notice this. It says that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. What kind of fruit? What does it say about the fruit? Check it out. Look in your passage there. What does it say? Nothing. Doesn't tell us. Doesn't tell us what kind of fruit or what quality of fruit or anything. It just says fruit. He brought some fruit. And uh, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. So he brought from the flock. What kind of animal did he bring from the flock? What does it say? Firstborn and and the fat ones. He's like, here's some of the firstborn, and man, these these animals, like, they are healthy. Like, I'm bringing some of my healthiest stock before the God, my God to give an offering, okay? And so as they went to give this offering... Uh, Cain had one approach and Abel had another, both of them bringing from their interests. Notice it says, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Um, God was disappointed in what was going on here, and uh, why? It doesn't say exactly. We have to kind of have the innuendo moment. We have to sort of see what's implied, and so I just uh, recorded this. There's two different thoughts going on. One is, uh, well, maybe... God's not happy with Cain's sacrifice because Cain didn't bring an animal. Life for life, was this a sin sacrifice? Like, please forgive me for my attitude and my temperament. And there should have been some sort of um, blood sacrifice or life sacrifice. And, and uh, Abel did do that. He brought forth an animal with blood sacrifice. And maybe that's where Cain was wrong. Some think that. Um, another thought would be Cain, well, Cain didn't bring forth his first or his best, and you know, when you look at the passage here and you see what it says, it does make a point of the firstborn and the fattest when it comes to Abel, and there is absolutely nothing said about the crops when it comes to uh, Cain. And uh, I probably would land there, and, uh, but I'll tell you this, First Samuel 16, 7 probably clears it up the most. First Samuel 16, 7, where it says, the Lord looks not on the outward, but rather on the heart. And, uh, he knows something that's going on in Cain's heart. And he's not satisfied with what's taking place. And while this is an offering, it's not exactly an offering. You know what I'm saying? It's the attempt to look obedient while being disobedient. And I just wrote down, self-rule uh, often tries to look obedient while disobeying in ways that profit self. Self-rule, you often try to look obedient while being disobedient. And the choice is always centered around, how does this profit me? Right? And so we've got something like that going on with Cain. We're not exactly sure. God's not regarding it well, so there's some interaction that goes on. We're not exactly sure what it is, but Cain becomes fully aware that God is not happy with it. So Cain was, what's it say? Yeah, Cain was angry. What kind of angry? Very angry. Cain was very ticked off. What's up with this, man? Why am I getting dissed on and Please note, Cain was very angry. It does not say Cain was sad. Cain was disappointed. Cain was remorseful. He was repentant. It doesn't say say those things. It doesn't say those things. Cain did not break down under finding out that God was disappointed with him and say, I'm sorry. What did I do wrong here? What needs to change here? No, Cain had a different answer. He was very angry, right? And you got to love the word very there, right? It's like somehow at some level you can hear him stomping and fuming and raising his voice and flailing his arms around him. What's up with the... Right? He was very angry. He's delivering it out. And his face fell. And his face fell. And uh, this combination usually goes together pretty big. Right? Cain was very angry and his face fell. So I just wrote a few things down here. Um, the heart of rebellion. The heart of rebellion wants approval, but on their own terms. The heart of rebellion wants approval, but on their own terms. It's not like all of a sudden if you've got the angry heart, you're like, I don't care about approval at all. Just so you know, people that say that aren't really telling the whole truth. But what they are saying is, I want approval through my means and methods, my way. That's what I want. I will define how the approval comes down and why the approval would come down. A heart of rebellion wants approval, but on their own terms. Here's another statement. Anger. Anger defends what one loves. Did you know that? Anger defends what one loves. When I read that this week, I was like, "Uh, I guess maybe that... And as I've settled in more and more with it, I'm just telling you, it really reveals your heart on things. Why am I getting so angry? What am I raising up against? What is it that's bothering me so much? And anger defends what one loves, right? And so as we raise up, we are defending. What's Cain defending? What does he love? Well, clearly self at some level, and we're not exactly sure what. Maybe it's approval before God. Maybe he was the big brother. And Cain's like, I want to be the one who's like awesome in this home. And I, I should be the one who stands best before God. And maybe, maybe that's what it was. We don't really know for sure, but we do know this. Cain was definitely seeking approval before God, and he was ticked off that he lost it. And uh, as he went to seek the approval, he was doing it in his own means and his own ways. And uh, anger defends what we love, and it expresses out in order to try to keep it. And uh, it's a huge deal, okay? His face fell. So, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Well, just so you know, it's also true. Out of the abundance of the heart, the face speaks. Did you know that? And it's so natural for us when we get upset for our face to show what we're feeling. In fact, when somebody is really good at hiding what they feel, if they're feeling something sad or something glad and they can hide it, we say they have what kind of face? A poker face, right? Like they're able to hide it. They're sitting there playing a card game and they get really good cards and they're like, this is awesome. That's a terrible poker face, right? And you're like, that guy's going to lose. Everybody knows that he's got good, or how about this one? Right? And you're like, he's revealing where he's at. And poker face, it's when we let our heart Express upward, and our facial expressions literally start showing it. Okay, and his face fell. Right? Picture it—so mad, so upset. Did all the muscles in the face relax? And you even get a little bit. Right? His face fell. You're showing me something, Cain. You're ticked off. And uh, what's going on? Well. I just wrote a few quotes down here to try to understand pride and self-rule a little bit. Pride. Pride is the dandelion of the soul. Only a little bit left behind and it will sprout again. Pride is the dandelion of the soul. Right? It's a weed, man. It needs to be gone. Pride is the dandelion of the soul. Only a little bit left behind and it will sprout again. And uh, always trying to get after pride. And sadly, just a few days after we've gotten it knocked out, more comes. I mean, how often do we go after trying to knock the dandelions out in our yard, right? And we bring in whatever kind of chemicals we can to get rid of them. And and we got them done. And you don't just spray once, right? You come back around every so often and make sure you keep going after it because they'll come back. And uh, same, pride needs to be dealt with on a regular basis. Here's another one. Pride, it's the only disease that makes everyone else sick except the one who has it. I think about it. The guy who's walking around all prideful, and everyone else around him is like, "No, oh, brother, can't believe that guy. What's with him?" And the way they brag about themselves, or the way they think they're so awesome, right? And then they turn back around to say something to you, and your whole face changes. And now you're trying to be like diplomatic and polite to them, and we're actually being very untruthful about where we are. And I'm just telling you, pride it collapses the person who has it. It collapses those around them. It can be devastating. And uh, pride, the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. Here's another one. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. Let that settle. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. See, when we actually start doing well, all of a sudden we start thinking well of ourselves and pride starts welling up. And all of a sudden we're more prone to problem. And uh, pride... It does feed on goodness, and so we have to be careful to always be putting in check, always be setting it aside. Look at Cain. Look at what he had going on. He's standing before God, and he's offering something. He's trying to say, I'm giving this to you, but in fact, there was something in his heart that was like, but only kind of. I'm kind of holding something back here, and there's maybe I'm not giving you the best, and maybe I'm not giving you the first, and maybe I'm doing something in my heart where I wish I didn't have to give. Whatever it is, in some way, Cain is not quite offering, even though it looks like he's offering, he's faking his worship. See, one thing pride does is it tries to look like we got it together when maybe we don't have it together. And be careful of that. And how often our churches can get packed with people who are actually worshiping pridefully. And uh, God, may we not be that church. And Lord, may I not have that struggle. May I be able to set this down before you. May it be all about you, not me. And uh, pride simple question for you Are you faking worship? Are you doing what looks good? But on the inside, you really wish God was asking for something differently or you're even in your heart in a different mode, temperament? Are you faking your worship and allowing it to affect how you approach your king? Or maybe here's another one. Are you making up your own rules? Yeah, I know God said to do that, but, but here's where I'm at. Like, isn't this cool? What a creative expression of my own worship. This is what I'm going to do for God. And now I start doing something of my own Volition, taking it into my own rules. And uh, be careful. Pride, it leads to rebellion and disobedience. It's the poison, all right? Number two, the symptoms. Rising up in self rule, making myself the judge of what is considered just. Rising up in self rule, making myself the judge of what is considered just. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? All right, so here we go again. God's speaking with mankind, and he decides to use the power of the question. And uh, parents, listen up. You got junior hires or older. This is a great technique for helping them to get to the bottom of what's going on. Don't be asking the question with a bunch of tone, right? Right? It's not asking it in a way that's kind of leading, but it's, it's truly trying to help them process through this. And God's question, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Notice he's speaking to the practical, obvious things that are showing. God knows the heart, but he's speaking very clearly to what's going on inside. And a parents, a sweet opportunity just to ask your kids and help them become self-reflective a little bit. Hmm, why am I angry? Right? The middle of a temper tantrum, it's, why are we angry? And I'm not talking with the three-year-old, right? That's not the moment, and uh, you might just need to get out of the store on that one, right? That's not what we're getting down on the floor with them while they're temper tantruming. We're like, why are you angry, right? (laughs) Everybody say that's a bad plan, okay? But as they're getting older, right, being able to work through this with them, trust me, we've seen that happen in the malls. That's not a fake example, Right? uh, But trying to work it out with an older child or a grown child and being able to use the power of the question, and why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Why is your countenance showing that you're dissatisfied inside? Then he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Will you not be accepted? Man, this is a dangerous verse if we don't understand what's going on. So just so you understand, the word accepted in the original language there in the Hebrew, it literally means lifted up, okay? It's the exact opposite of what happened to Cain's face. His face was fallen, right? His face was what? His face was fallen, and God is like, I'm telling you, if you follow my direction, if you work with me on this, you will be lifted up accepted that's what the phrase means and so yes accepted before God but we have to be very careful this can all of a sudden start start to sound very legalistic and what it is is God saying I'm telling you I've got a plan for you that will rock your world I love you come join me in this and as you do the things that I have designed for your soul it will be so satisfying it will well up within you it will lift your face That's the plan. Obedience, it's more than just do what God said. Obedience, it has high value to your soul. It has high value to your joy as God brings to bear what is best for us. And um, he's like, trust me, Cain. I've got a plan. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at the door, desiring you. Like, it wants to consume you. It's like a tiger who's going to break out and eat you alive. And your job is to identify sin and rule over it. And a huge deal here as God the Father, check this now, God the Father created mankind in perfection. Adam and Eve, they were perfect. They experienced that for a season Now he has mankind fallen, and in their fallenness, mankind needs help and guidance on how to deal with sin, and this is God the Father giving this unbelievable divine insight on how to deal with sin in the world, and look what he says. You must rule over it. Don't let it rule over you, and uh, I just wrote this down. Do not seek to rule over God. Seek to rule over sin, See, that's the problem with the prideful heart is we seek to rule. We're just seeking the wrong place to rule. We're trying to go over the almighty creator and rule over everything. Do not seek to rule over God. Seek to rule over sin. Seek to rule over that which is eating your life up. Self-control, not self-rule. You hearing that difference? So self-control, let's just define it. Self-control puts me humbly under Self-control puts me humbly under. I am not trying to make much of me. I want to make much of my king. I'm willing to listen to those he has placed in authority over me. Self-control puts me humbly under. Self-rule puts me pridefully over. Self-rule puts me pridefully over. Okay? It's a big deal difference. Self-control humbly under. Self-rule pridefully over. Okay. What an amazing counseling session that God just had with Cain. Let's see how effective it is. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, right? So he's like, God's speaking to him, and he's like, oh, whatever. I'm gonna go talk to Abel. So he goes over, and they have a little chat. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Well, that was an effective counseling session, wasn't it? Right? And how often if we counseled with a family member or a friend or, or a child, and we're trying to give advice and thought, and the wisdom we have shared is actually deeply insightful and helps us understand what God is saying, and, and yet it doesn't change a thing. And trust me, God knows of that pain as well, OK? And uh, Cain, he rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. He decided to take his life however and whatever Cain was loving, his view was, if I can just get rid of my brother, then everything's back to normal. So somehow what he was loving had to do with the view that God the Father had towards him and Abel getting in the way of it. It had something about position. And so if you can't beat him, kill him. That's kind of his plan, right? That's harsh, And uh, that's where his heart was at, man. Pride can eat you up fast. Think of how many few short years have gone since the fall and we already have the first murder now. And uh, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Again, notice the power of the question. Where is Abel? Now, there's really not that many people alive on the earth at this point, right? Got a handful, So you really kind of don't need a last name or an attachment or an explanation. Where is Abel would have gotten it done, right? And instead, he's like, where is Abel, your brother? What's he asking? He's like, do you understand the grievous situation that has just come down? Do you see that this is family, blood, relative? What have you done? And, right, He's questioning and challenging him as he asks, where is Abel, your brother? And uh, Cain said, I do not know. Did Cain know? Uh, Yeah, right? Cain killed him. And just so you know, one sin unconfessed will lead to the next sin because we have to try to hide it. We have to try to conceal it. Remember back to that second week when we were talking about our defense mechanisms of hiding and blaming right? And so Cain is clearly in the, everybody else is wrong but me. And, and I don't know, I'm going to hide it. And uh, I don't know where he's at. I, I, don't, I don't know. And um, am I my brother's keeper? Notice what Cain just did. He just turned and started questioning God. Why would you ask me? What, am I my brother's keeper? So now he's trying to roll reverse and get on top with the question keeper means guardian, protector, the one who's supposed to watch over. him. Am I supposed to watch over little Abel? Is that the deal? He can't handle himself, so I have to handle it for him. And Cain, trying to put God in his position by switching to a question that challenges. And uh, the Lord said, what have you done? Man, may we never hear these words. Right? The Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And this is what it sounds like. What have you done? Do you understand where you are at? What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Cain, you were supposed to raise up life from the ground, and instead you took life and cast it back into the ground. You're doing the exact opposite of what we're to be about. You've missed the point. And uh, I know, I know what's happened. That's what God's saying here. He's revealing to Cain that he is not ruling. And um, Cain is not getting it. Everybody say Cain's not getting it. He's not getting it. See, when we self-rule, it takes more than a few words to get our attention, right? When we try to reign over everybody else and we try to press down on everyone else, we really don't hear the fact that we just lost the battle. And God's just made it perfectly clear that he knows everything and Cain is going to need to make good on that and he's not getting it and uh, can have a huge effect on our lives. Do me a favor, turn to page 56 in your books. 56, the fruit-to-root diagram. So what does it look like if we have this anger burning in us, this self-rule driving in us? What does it look like? We well, have the fruit-to-root diagram up top there, but you've got it in your books as well, page 56. Remember, the fruit is on the outer parts of the tree, right? It's what you can see the easiest and the best, and uh, and then it goes down inside the trunk and down into roots. So fruit, the fruit of this self-rule, of this um, selfishness that forces me to be in charge, the fruit, interrupting. You know what I'm talking about? Like every time you're in a conversation and somebody starts to say something you don't want said, you go, yeah, 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 I know, I know, but what about? No, 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 no you're the wrong way. That, that's not what we're supposed to say. No, we're going over here now. Yeah, I know your point, but here's the real point, right? Interrupting. We cut them off and we try to move them to our point. And uh, that's a control move. And uh, that's a bad move. Did you know that? You're like, I was just trying to help. I thought they weren't getting the point, and so I was. Be careful, right? Self rule also likes to justify self at every level. And uh, cautious, interrupting, defensive. What? What did I do? What, am I my brother's keeper? Right? Cain. Are you saying that I should have known that? Is that what you're asking? What? What? The defensive mode. Why are you challenging me? Right? This is self-rule words, or impatient, or irritable, intimidating. Did you know that you can be intimidating by raising your voice? Everybody knew that, right? Nod your head, raise your voice, right? And you can be intimidating. So you start getting louder. Did you know you can be intimidating by getting softer, too? When you go, come here, come here. And every kid's like, oh, no. Right? And you feel it, and the, the pressure's coming. Or, or how about when something's going on, and you stand up out of your chair? and you're standing over them. You're like, listen, what are we doing with, and all of a sudden there's a positional change. I am intimidating just by my position. I may whisper in the midst of it, but I'm dominating. Intimidation, and uh, it's a huge part of self-rule. I will put them where they need to be, right? Uh, Critical of others. Everybody else is wrong. I'm not going to talk about my wrong. I may be willing to say I'm wrong, but I don't want to talk about it for very long because everybody else is wrong. Let's talk about they're wrong, right? Critical of others. Sarcastic, and uh, I know some of you believe that's a spiritual gift, <laughs> right? Sarcasm, it's a great style of humor that can be used at times, but I'm telling you, if sarcasm is your regular language, you are hiding behind something and trying to make a statement with a harsher, uh, sharper tongue, okay? And be careful with that. And uh, sarcasm, it can be a great laughter tool, right? We use that in our home. I'm saying that so things go well this afternoon. Sarcasm, it's a great tool at times, but be careful because it can be a very hurtful tool as well. Harsh is what the word is comes after it. Peace breaking, sharply pushing against someone. Trunk, there's bitterness and vengeful thoughts. Did you know that lack of forgiveness can lead to all of this? Bitterness, that's what starts burning deep down inside. And condemning and judgmental thoughts. I'm right. I'm entitled. Come on. Bring it my way. I'm a good guy. What's up with? And the more we camp on that, the more it starts burning within us. And uh, control, authority, and power are what we're trying to take over. Okay? These are the things that we have going on. Where we try to control and manage everyone else. Right? There was a town... 1962. True story. Centralia, Pennsylvania. And uh, they were a coal mining town, but they had a bunch of landfills as well that were going on, and they were trying to manage the landfills. So what they ended up doing was a couple of the guys said, you know what? We should just, let's get rid of a couple of these landfills right now before it starts to get too much of a problem with the odor and everything else. And so they took one of the landfills, and there were a couple of the guys. They ended up lighting the landfill on fire, very structured. They had a plan for it. and They had, you know, everything they needed to manage it carefully. They lit the landfill on fire, and it was burning. Little did they know that underneath that landfill was a vein of coal that went down underground. And so as the landfill burned and got to a very high heat, the coal now caught fire, and it started burning down underneath. It went down into a bed of about um, 3,700 acres of coal, okay? About 100 to 200 feet deep, 3,700 acres of coal. And that fire is still burning today, 1962 until now. They've tried three or four or five different times to put it out. They cannot put it out. The fire down in the depths of the land, like down 150, 200 feet deep, is over 1,000 degrees. And where it comes up on the surface is over 200 degrees. In fact, here's some photos of it. Let's throw it up. Those fires are where it's breaking out on the surface, Okay. It's where it's come up and taking over. It eats up all the vegetation and just burns it out. Notice the highway there? That's Highway 61. Giant crack right through the middle of it. From the heat underneath, it just broke apart all the blacktop. And that smoke coming out, that smoke from fire, and it's also carbon monoxide mixed in. The whole thing became poisonous, dangerously poisonous, to the point where 2,700 people living in Centralia, Pennsylvania have had to move out. And they're down to seven people living there now. Seven. Those seven people are like, I will not leave. Right? And uh, so there's a lot of sickness. There's a lot of nasty stuff going on. And why talk about it? I'm just telling you, the fires of Centralia are like the fires of this anger that we're talking about today. It burns deep within the soul. There is this unsettledness that's going on. And the fire and the temperatures are so hot and it comes lashing out at moments. And that's when the fire breaks out on the top, when smoke breaks up uh, uh, on the surface, right? That's what we see. And so what we start saying is like, watch your tongue, right? Watch what you say, be careful about how you express, but that isn't even remotely getting to the problem, which is this heart-embittered and inflamed, and needing control, and wanting self-rule, and that's what's heating up and lashing out. To try to cap the surface does nothing. In fact, it just ends up causing abandonment. That's it. It's devastating when we let these fires burn deep. There is a hope. We serve the Almighty God who knows how to put fires out in the depths of our soul. And all of God's people said, Man, we have a hope. God can do an amazing work. That's where we can land. And uh, so simple question for you. Anger. It's like an underground fire. Do you have that burning? Do you have that where you can't even explain it, but your chest almost feels tight? you want to lash out and you're not even sure at why or what? Do you have this unsettledness of self-rule where others must get under? And, uh, and God's got an answer. Don't let that thing burn to the point where it causes abandonment, hurt of so many of those around you. Let's get that work done. Please hear me. We have pastors. We have biblical counselors. We have people who are ready to love on you and love with you as you walk through this problem. And hear me, when people are wrestling with fear or despair, they come forward with tears in their eyes. They want to come after it. The self-rule guy is like, I got this one. And uh, can, can you not come with us? Let's do this thing together, man. God's got an amazing work he can do, and I'm telling you, Getting after the embitterment of the soul and getting it set aside that God might do an amazing healing, putting him in charge is an awesome hope. And all of God's people said, all right, that's the poison and the symptom. Let's get to how we get after the healing then. The prescription. The prescription. Encounter my great God, surrender to his authority and count on his mercy. Encounter the great God, surrender to his authority and count on his mercy. Starts out in verse 11. And now you are cursed from the ground. This is God talking to Cain and saying, Here's some of the punishment. You are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. He's like, You know that green thumb I gave you? Not anymore. And uh, Cain, he's now cursed with the lack of a green thumb. And uh, I know that pain. Where you try to grow something, you're like, I literally, every year I say to my wife, we need to put plastic flowers out. They'll just look so much better. We cannot handle real flowers. I just, I have absolutely no ability there. Jonna loves it. She does great for the couple of weeks. The attention gets put on it. I'm giving great credit. And then we stop looking, and then they die. We have this curse. And uh, I'm just telling you, Kane's like, what? I'm the one who's been growing everything so awesome. Come on, you're taking away from me the very thing that I, what are you doing with? Cain's starting to get heated again. And uh, he said, your curse from the ground it's open its mouth from your brother's blood, from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. You're going to wander, man. That's how it's going to go down. Cain said to the Lord, classic self-rule moment, Cain is wrong. Everybody say, Cain is wrong. Cain is wrong. God is right. God is now bringing the judgment. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You're wrong, God. You're wrong for how you're handling me. Self-rule. I am never going to look at me as wrong. The people who are over me, the God who is over me, they're wrong for how they're judging me. You're wrong, God. In fact, your judgment of my judgment, that judgment is wrong. You're wrong all the time wrong. I'm wrong, yes, but you're wrong more than me because when I was wrong, you were wrong about my being wrong the first time when I was wrong. I don't know what I'm saying anymore, but you're wrong. Right? That's self-rule. Do not come over the top of me. I'm in charge. That's how it comes down. Cain, ultimate self-rule. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Woe is me, right? Behold. What do we say when we see the word behold? Check it out. Normally, it's this great God story. Now Cain is using it. Behold. Do you feel him trying to be God-like? Behold. Let me show you my insights. You have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face shall I be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And he's rightly recognized the first few parts. He is being removed from the ground. He is going to lose some sense of the presence of God and this magic that he has with his hands of being able to grow things so insightfully. But he says at the end there, and whoever finds me will kill me. Please notice that he is utterly driven for what he's going to get or not get, right? I just wrote it this way. He's not about a special relationship with God. He's about special blessings from God. It's about what can I have? Special blessings. And uh, that can be a great distraction. In fact, I wrote this following God for what you get is a sign of self rule. Following God for what you get is a sign of self rule. Let that settle. I thought there were benefits to following God. There are. I thought that was good. It is. But if that's your main purpose, what I can get, we're missing the point. Our God is awesome. Amen. Amen. Our God is to be glorified. Amen. Amen. May we not make it about self. May we make it about our King. He is to get our everything and our attention. And uh, all too often we follow for what we can get out of it. Cain's like, let me tip my hand to you. Everything that I thought I was going to get, I'm now not getting. And I'm very angry, I'm very dissatisfied. He says, whoever finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, not so. I love that statement. This is a moment where God, you got to hear God. He's like, there's, there, I'm sure there's a little bounce in his voice. He's like, they're going to kill me. Not so. <laughs> nope. That's not true. In fact, I've told you what is true. And now I'm going to have to talk to you a little bit about what is true. So, not so. Let's go through this. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The number of God is seven. And so this is like, God will take retribution. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. A mark. I have absolutely no clue what this mark is. It doesn't say here. Is it? like, danger. God will take vengeance. Is that... Is it this giant tattoo on him somewhere? We don't know. Is it something that happened to him physically that made people just want to stay away from him? It was a mark in that regard. We don't know. But for whatever reason, God said there is now a mark and it is going to protect you and people will know not to touch you or they will have to deal with me. Lest any who found him should attack him. So he's safe now. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. And just so you know, the word not in the Hebrew means wandering. So the wanderer was sent to the land of wandering. Okay, There's a lot of poetry in this story. As we're seeing, the face that is fallen could be lifted up with obedience. And the one who is the wanderer goes to the land of wandering. And the rebellion that is just shown so clearly throughout, east of Eden. And uh, what does that mean? Well, further away from Eden than Adam and Eve further away than where man had been so far. Out on his own and feeling the pain of it. And that's some of the punishment of it. And uh, here's the sad thing. The story kind of ends here. Like there's more that goes on about Cain, but he doesn't get his act together. He doesn't get a healing. He doesn't repent. He doesn't see it. He doesn't get after it. And uh, everybody say that's sad. That is sad, man. Because God's got hope for us and he can heal us. And um, so let's just do this. What do we do if we're struggling with anger? And uh, three steps to addressing our anger. Three steps to addressing our anger. Number one, evaluate. What am I loving? Or who am I loving? Evaluate. What am I loving? Remember, anger defends what one loves. Every time your anger rises up, I'm telling you, I have wrecked your anger for the rest of your life now. Every time your anger rises up, you're going to be like, now what am I loving? I'm telling you, the question is a killer because you start wrestling with it yourself. You're like, what is such a big deal to me here? Why does this matter? And invariably, you will have statements like, well, because they just, they did, I just, I have no idea why. I'm just mad right now. And the more you start digging in, the more you're going to find out what it is you're loving, okay? Identify it. Evaluate it. What am I loving? It will really, really often, it'll put a calming on your anger as you start realizing what you're trying to defend. Evaluate. Number two, remember. What is true about God's power? Remember. Remember. What is true about God's power? He is sovereign. He is over all the good and all the bad in all the world. My God has this thing in hand. Hear me now. This world is broken. And all of God's people said, this world is broken. And in the midst of it, may we not blame our God. For his lack of leadership or authority. He has this thing in hand. He has purpose. And he's moving accordingly. Pour into the word. Learn from your king. See what he says about his absolute authority. I am not in charge. My God's in charge. I will remember who you are. And I will remember your awesome authority. I will humbly get under. You are in charge, God. That is a major address to anger burning deep. Remember, and hear me on this, also add to it his power and his love. Because power without love can be brutality. But our God has both. Praise be to God. Both power and love. Remember him in his power and love. Number three, confess. Confess where am I going wrong? How am I wronging you, God? Confess. In what way am I making this about me and it needs to be more about you? Confess. The fires start burning less hot. Confess. It's amazing what God does. Evaluate, remember, confess. All right? Do me a favor, just real quickly, turn to page 52 in your books. Page 52. So the unrestored and the restored heart. All right, let's just real quickly look at this. The unrestored heart. There is pride at the middle. It will be about me. We step up in rebellion. This is where we stand against others in charge. Rebellion. Now it gets worse. It still steps into me asserting myself is as in charge. Self rule. And then finally, in the end, God isn't in charge of anything. I've got this thing. I'm going to take over. And we start controlling. Maybe in the name of what you think is good or valuable, but in fact, we're controlling way too much and taking over. In the end, when we don't get our way, we rise up in anger, okay? This is the expression outward of pride blowing up. Now flip to the other side, to the restored heart. Pride gets replaced with humility. As we say, Lord, I confess I'm wrong. What do you need to show in me? I'm ready to see it, I'm ready to hear it. God starts revealing in us, This humility that leads to a yielding to God's supremacy and in the end, God fully in charge. When you meet someone who is able to control their tongue and their facial expression is always upbeat and their obedience is high, you have met someone where God is moving in this area for them. They are yielding to his supremacy and they're letting God lead. Look at the ultimate word, surrender that's what it comes to. Please, surrender is not the start of the solution. Surrender is the end. Are you hearing me? Surrender is not the start. Surrender is the end. Say it with me. Surrender is not the start. It's the end. So we start with this whole, Lord, I'm handing it to you. I don't even understand what I'm doing, and I'm partially still ticked. And if we wait until we have it all able to lay it down, it'll never happen. We start just with pieces of opening up hand. We barely get it. And God starts teaching and revealing along the way. And the ultimate solution in the end is a surrendered heart. Praise be to God, okay? As we say, Lord, help me to sit under. Teach me and may I confess to you. May my fires burn less hot that you might be glorified, all right? Remember now, we got these two hearts and we do not move from one side to the other on our own effort. Everybody say, not on my own. That's muscling it, right? And that ain't gonna happen. And so how do we go after this with God in charge? Turn over to page 57. This is how we start letting God speak to us. Lord, I wanna meet the God who is, remember we just talked about, remember his power, remember his love. That's what these passages are about here in the encounter uh, encountering him in charge of all, sovereign over all, just in all that he does, perfect in all that he does, forgiving us, sacrificial. Jesus Christ humbling himself and becoming a man for you and for me. These passages are unbelievable passages for those trying to wrestle with meeting the God who is. This is not pass the quiz on, this isn't no information about, this is know the God who is pouring into this word that God might rock your world. Then you move to exalt. That was encounter. Now you move to exalt. From God's word, Lord, may I worship you. Thank you for who you are. I praise you for who you are. I remember you for who you are. Please forgive me for what I've been usurping from you. I'm wrong. I'm willing to hear I'm wrong. Please forgive me. Exalting. It's worship, it's praise, it's confession. And then we engage as we step out not until then. Stepping out without the healing does not get it done. Everybody say it doesn't get it done. Please be careful. This is not about muscling it so that you can try to fake a look. We've already talked about fake worship. Not that. May we surrender to our King. May we quit on this battle, right? Raising the white flag, calling it over. This battle is done. My God's in charge. He is awesome and I will give him everything he is due. My God reigns. And all of God's people said, that's the fix for healing the heart of anger. Let's pray.